the end of an era. I'm also announcing that Trevor Mallard will step down as Speaker in mid-August as he prepares to take a, a diplomatic post in Europe. And of one of the more controversial political careers in recent memory. In 2009, he was lucky to survive a scuffle with fellow MP Tohenere. He pled guilty in court and was fined $500 for punching. Clearly, I shouldn't have been involved in the fight to start with. He was also caught red-handed for scalping Rugby World Cup tickets to students. It's clear that I've made a mistake. And Trevor Mallard leaves behind an interesting legacy. The first speaker to feed a baby while the House is sitting. The focus was on Parliament TV and pictures of new speaker Trevor Mallard who was left holding a baby. Three-month-old baby Hen, daughter of Labour MP Willow Jean Pryor, sat on Mr Mallard's knee whilst he supervised the debate. The first speaker to crowdsource music to blast into the parliamentary grounds to disperse a group of protesters. I'm Emile Donovan, and today on The Detail, NBR political editor Brent Edwards and political scientist Dr Lara Greaves on Trevor Mallard's time in the Speaker's chair, his achievements and his legacy, and the future of one of the most idealised and controversial positions in our modern political system. Do you remember the first time that you met or, or interacted with Trevor Mallard? I, I can't remember exactly the first time, but I do know it was when he was a whip and, you know, he was very active around Parliament and, and he was always seen as one of Labor's go-to people. He was always a bit of a bother boy within the Labor Party, within the caucus. But, of course, back then, that was 1989-90, the last dying days of that 84-90 to 90 Labor government. So things were pretty hectic within Labour. And of course, he, he lost his seat at the 1990 election when the tide turned against Labour uh, before coming back in 1993. What did you make of him personality-wise? Oh, look, personality-wise, you know, to, to, to bump into to Trevor Mallard around Parliament and that, you know, he, he was um, an easygoing sort of person, actually, someone you got on quite well with. He would talk quite openly about politics. So, an easy politician, actually, to get on with. While he has that reputation of doing a bit of Labour's, if you like, dirty work in mm. politics of, and, and sort of being the attack dog almost for Labour, uh, from a journalist perspective, I, I didn't have any difficulties dealing with him. He was he was not one of the most difficult MPs to deal with, or politicians to deal with as a journalist. Well, because it must be interesting, having worked in the press gallery for, you know, over multiple decades, as you have, to see how people's personalities or politicians' personalities change or are moulded over the years. Is that something that you saw happen with Trevor Mallard? One of the things you probably would comment on with, with Trevor Mallard is that for all of that experience... And and look, he he's you know he was a very effective minister, for instance, in that 1999 to 2008 Labor government uh, led by Helen Clark. But for all of that political experience, he's still open to making, you know, some quite clear political botch ups. There were explosive scenes at Parliament last night when the Speaker of the House went on the attack over the controversy in which he mistakenly accused a former parliamentary staffer of rape. Mr Mallard was mounting a defence for his actions after the defamation case he settled last year, costing taxpayers more than $330,000.
you perhaps might not expect from someone with that experience. And, and that's probably because, you know, he's always retained that thing where he'll, he'll jump in and probably speak first without perhaps always considering what the consequences might be of what he's saying. Because I wanted to ask you, drawing on the times, the interactions that you'd had with him throughout your career, did he ever strike you as being speaker material until it happened? No, I mean, Trevor Mallard's name was not the first that would you know, come to mind if you were thinking about who might be the next speaker. I mean, in Parliament, again, he had a reputation in the debating chamber for being one of the more difficult, disruptive MPs. Before I do that, Mr Speaker, make it clear... Order! order. I did not make the comment! Well, the member will leave the chamber for the rest of the day. For not making a comment? Order! The member will not dispute the Speaker, and if he's not careful, he'll be named. That is the worst decision you have ever made. I mean, I, so I guess there was a bit of irony and a, a bit of laughter when he was appointed because it very much was the poacher turned gamekeeper. <laughs> but, you know, having said that, though, he clearly had a vast experience in Parliament, both in, in terms of numbers of years, but also in terms of the number of times he'd clashed with the then speakers that he, that he came up against. I think he had a pretty good idea of parliamentary process and where where the line was drawn in terms of the rules of con- around the, the conduct in Parliament. So in that sense, he may well be well suited to, to taking on the role, but as I say, as, as poacher turned gamekeeper. That's an interesting answer. You seem to be suggesting that being difficult and being disruptive are not characteristics that would necessarily be beneficial being the speaker. So what does the speaker actually do and what are the characteristics that a good speaker does tend to have? Look, I mean, essentially, you know, I suppose the best way of describing it is the speaker is is the referee of parliament. He or she sits in that chair and ensures that parliament runs smoothly, that the, the MPs follow the rules of parliament, and some of them can be quite arcane, and that as much as possible, then the debate flows and that there's a freedom of speech in the parliament and that, and that he's protecting that, but by ensuring MPs follow the rules. And, and you see this mainly during question time. The only breach of standing orders is that questions are meant to be succinct as are answers. Rodney Hyde, if you could please make your question succinct. That's when you see most of the drama around what's happening in the House and when you see MPs running up against the Speaker. No, I don't need, I don't need any assistance. I don't need assistance. Order. The member will stand, withdraw that remark immediately. I withdraw and apologise, sir. If the question is asked by an opposition member and then that level of barrage occurs, I will on occasions cease the uh, answer by a minister. And that is what Trevor Mallard did when he was an MP sitting in the House and that's what he's faced to speak. And I, and I think because of his background and reputation, I think there was a little bit more incentive for opposition MPs to really push him to the limit around, you know, in terms of how they pushed the line on, on the various rules. Impugning uh, improper motives against oh, a member. For goodness sake. Oh, look, oh, Mr. 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 Brownlee, this, is, this, has got, this has got to the point of, of being ridiculous. 
how is it appropriate for you to entertain several pointless points of order from that side, and when I react to something the Prime Minister said, uh, I'm the naughty boy in this parliament? Do I really need to explain? <laughs> right. For the years I've covered parliament from 1989 on, the then opposition, whoever is the speaker, has always complained about the speaker, mm. that they're biased, that they're unfair. That's always the case. So there's nothing new in terms of those criticisms of Trevor Mallard, but I have to say the level of opposition complaints against him have, have kind of reached a new high. It's an interesting role, the Speaker, isn't it? It, it? it strikes me as something that is kind of, it's idealistic. The Speaker is a, a person who is formerly a party political politician, and all of a sudden the expectation or the ideal is that they drop their party affiliation almost and become this kind of servant of of democracy, which, like I say, it's, a, it's lovely and idealistic, but it strikes me as, it's almost kind of naive in a way, isn't it? Well, you could say so, but it's, you know, it's the way the parliament runs, and the Speaker, yeah, they are meant to be neutral in that chair. They're not meant to... Um, show any political bias in the terms of the way they run the House. But whoever's the Speaker still remains a member of the party they come from. The one Speaker I think that stands out, frankly, over this time was Lockwood Smith. The Speaker's role is more than one of just presiding over this House. The Speaker has a responsibility for the quality of our parliamentary democracy. I found it both challenging and rewarding, and I wish you all the very best. I think Lockwood Smith was the most effective speaker I saw in terms of holding government ministers to account. And his own colleagues, National, did not like it. And in fact, I think that was part of the reason behind why they then got him out of the country to be the High Commissioner in London. I think ministers found it very uncomfortable when he was speaker because he really did hold them to the fire and made them answer the questions that they were asked. Mm -hmm. But even then, at that time, Labour still complained about him as being biased. I think the other thing is it's unbiased by which measure, because I think it's quite obvious that people, humans cannot be unbiased. We're just like biased creatures. Lara Greaves is a senior lecturer in politics at the University of Auckland. So then it becomes a case of, at least in terms of this bias, it's quite clear which party the speaker's from. And then that way we can actually, as, as members of the public, as citizens, as other MPs, can actually monitor that. So there's ways to monitor, like, the extent to which you know the speaker's favourable to one side. And the media, of course, is going to call them out on that. That's what's going to happen. So at least this bias is like out there. The other thing that I would yeah point to is the idea that it, it matters a huge amount. So of course, like if people are if people are cut off and they can't have their say as MPs in the House, then that becomes a problem. Or if they're booted out of the House for being too aggressive or too loud or or booing or for comebacks or something like that. But I think fundamentally the way that our parliament works is at the moment, for example, we have a single party majority government in Labour, the vote's going to go a certain way already. Things won't go on that sort of record of parliament, the hand-side record if someone's been booted out of the house and they can't do their speech. It's going to be on record in another form because we've seen when people have been booted out of the house before, they're going to make a big thing of it in the media anyway, so their opposition will be on record. The fact that this is happening midterm and the pressure that mounted up on him suggests in itself that he didn't do what you might call an especially good job as speaker, that he wasn't an especially good speaker. Do you think that that is the case? I think there's some criticism of him that's unfair. 
Um, but I, I think, obviously, as I say, he didn't help himself with some of those mistakes he made as Speaker um, in terms of the, the way he dealt with the occupation. Firstly, the sprinklers, the playlist, look, I don't understand the Baron Manilow thing. The Makarena is a straight banger and all it caused was a bit of boogieing on the lawn. Cops have given uh, Trevor Mallard a bit of a serve as well, saying it's not a tactic that they would use, but it is what it is. The commentary around a rapist in Parliament. One thing you can't control is the way that people will judge your character for the choices you make and the way you behave while there. And I'm afraid to say that, in my view, the choices you've made over the last 24 hours have diminished that character further than even I could have imagined. But actually, in the House, a lot of the time, I didn't think that he was any worse or any better than many other speakers. And I think, like all referees, you know, everyone complains about the referee if you, you know, playing a game of rugby, but if if the players on the field don't drop the ball, don't get offside, don't tackle high, you know, you take the referee out of the game. And it's the same for the MPs in the house. If they follow the rules well and actually ask decent questions, they can take the speaker out of it as well. Mm. The speaker won't intervene. But there have been a couple of things that Trevor Mallard has done, which I think will be a bit of a legacy for him. He's made the place more informal. Parliament is cutting its colonial ties. It will now be optional for men to wear ties in the House following a decision from Speaker Trevor Mallard last night. And family friendly. It's not the first time that I've nursed a baby uh, in the chair, the first time I've fed a baby, but just to uh, come up and uh, uh, to give Papa Trevor a cuddle. Oh. Uh, and we did that. Uh, Tutanaka indicated that... Uh, that he wanted some more of the bottle, uh, so uh, so he got a feed because you can't really argue with babies in that circumstance, can you? And, and I might add dog-friendly as well. <laughs> You'll see dogs around Parliament that you didn't used to see. Leo's by far the best dog in Parliament and possibly the whole world. He's been responsible for the Act Party's leak, a, a wonderful golden leak, uh, actually on Trevor Mallard. He saw Trevor and um, he just uh, he cocked his leg and really just, just let go. But also that review that was done around the bullying and the conduct at Parliament. Parliament Speaker says he wouldn't recommend his workplace to close friends or his children as he launched a review into bullying and harassment. I mean, I think the longer term thing of that will be that maybe people's behaviour around Parliament will be a bit better, and for particularly those that work there who do have a bit of a power imbalance, particularly with the MPs and others, that you know maybe they will be treated better yeah, and there's also that opportunity to influence tradition going forward. I mean, that was like the getting rid of the, the wigs and the gowns yeah. and the um, making it more of a informal type position. There's always those changes. There's changes to the um, standing orders over time as well that change our parliament. And I think there's also the other thing that we have to speak to and, and think about is the extent to which New Zealand will move away from those British Westminster traditions of time and will make the state and, and the role of the speaker and the parliament itself, the House of Representatives, more in line with biculturalism, multiculturalism, te ao Māori, whatever, whatever we do as a nation moving forward. So there's all of those kind of debates to speak to as part of that as well as, as where our society is moving. Do you think the role of speaker is a tougher job to perform well now than it has been in the past? 
I think there's a lot more monitoring and a lot more sound bites. I mean, there's been research by people over time that like the the, the sound bites or clips are <laughs> getting shorter in length. Mm-hmm. So there is a possibility of, of things like that to happen. I mean, we knew when Trevor Mallard played Barry Manilow at, at um, Parliament to the protesters that that kind of thing would go viral. And, you know, sure enough, there it was on John Oliver. Like that kind of thing's expected to some extent now. And it is like a lot of things can be taken out of context, perhaps more than they were in the past, just due to the way that media and social media and news has gone so I would say in, the, in that in that way it has probably become a trickier role but I mean I, I mean I guess over time the the counter to that is that I guess we are becoming less rigid and strict in the way that we do things so there is that more that possibility to start to make it your own and start to sort of modify the rules in line with where you think the speaker role should go and where you think parliament should go Now, one idea that's been floated that some observers of politics argue would help diffuse accusations of bias and favouritism is a change to how the Speaker is chosen. Currently, it's an open vote. The government puts a name forward, and because it's the government and controls the majority of seats in Parliament, it has the numbers to make that happen. But the lawyer Graham Edgler earlier this year pitched a change to elect the Speaker by secret ballot meaning any MP could vote for whoever they thought was best suited to the role. Former national leader Simon Bridges endorsed this idea in his valedictory speech earlier this year. Regarding the role of the Speaker, which is so important to the tone and function of this place, I don't see it as a panacea. But a secret ballot for Speaker, as happens in most similar parliaments today, could help wrest things away from the government of the day. This is how things work in the UK, Australia and Canada and in theory it should help to make sure that the Speaker is you know, widely respected, has the support of the majority of their colleagues from all sides of the chamber. So is this an idea whose day has come? I would tend to think that that is a sensible idea. There's probably like a number of ways that you could evolve the role of Speaker but that seems to be like a fairly subtle one there that just seems like a, fa- a fairly common sense thing to do so then the speaker doesn't know who, who voted against or for or against them necessarily I mean we have to some extent you know the, the sort of deputy speaker roles tend to be taken up by both national and labor depending obviously depending on who's in and that seems to be another way that we do that in, in, a, in a cross-partisan fashion but having something along the lines of a secret ballot is probably a sensible step and it puts us more in line with other jurisdictions that we like to compare ourselves to, like Australia and Canada. Would a secret ballot make much of a difference? Possibly, but you'd still imagine the governing parties would decide among themselves who they wanted to support a speaker and that then everyone would give a secret ballot in that favour of that person. So I'm not sure that it would make a big difference. And to be honest, I'm not sure that we have such a problem with the speaker that it's worth changing. I think at the moment in this country, we are lucky. And and I don't think politics has become as polarised as it is, for instance, in the United States, the United Kingdom, and even probably across the ditch in Australia. Um, You know, clearly there are differences and you'd expect them in a democracy. You know, you've got the opposition parties pushing their views and a and opposing things the government are doing and, and, and calling it into question. I mean, and, that, and that's the whole point of a democracy, that you don't just have a, a single-party rule where no one questions what's being done. 
but I, but I don't think it's got to the point of that level of polarisation where it's impossible for a speaker appointed from, say, the governing party to do his or her job. And as I say, the main point of confrontation comes within that first hour of Parliament sitting. And then they get on with the business of legislation and reviewing budgets, et cetera. And most of that time, that's that's largely quite constructive and there aren't great huge arguments where the speaker gets called in and and you know and, and is kind of being then being accused of being biased. The accusation of bias generally comes around question time and the way that currently Trevor Mallard, you know, runs question time and allows opposition to ask questions and whether he shuts them down or not. That's where the accusations of of bias come in. But for a large part of you know Parliament sitting, you don't have that problem. Trevor Mallard is now moving to a diplomatic post, which the Prime Minister said would be somewhere in Europe. We don't know the details of that yet. You know, this is a common thing with outgoing politicians. Jonathan Hunt and Lockwood Smith and Annette King and Jim Bulger and Mike Moore and Tim Grosser. The list is as long as your arm. Why? I know that most people look at it as jobs for the boys and girls, but in the most cases, they do make some sense. For instance, Jim Bolger and Mike Moore, both former prime ministers going to Washington in the US, I think it was clear that they got, they got access at a political level because of their political background and their political contacts and the fact they were prime ministers that a career diplomat probably would not have got. Now, equally, a former speaker, for instance, in London, you know, the role of speaker is is an elevated role. So it, it also gives you a, a certain amount of kudos in, in a country like that and, and maybe some access. You know, I guess um, Annette King in Australia as High Commissioner to Australia and with her political background, also well-versed in that sort of job. So I, I think it can be an argument that, that there are some legitimate political appointments to make to those jobs. And you've got to remember the vast majority of ambassadors though, are still our career diplomats. You know, the politicians are not sort of shoveling them all out of those jobs. Well, I think that after you've been an MP for quite some time, you've shown that you're like a steady pair of hands. I think that people have joked about the idea of Trevor Mallard being a diplomat because he is someone who tends to like lay it all out there and kind of speak in ways or act in ways that are not necessarily most diplomatic. But, I mean, generally he's been an MP for decades, so, like, being a diplomat seems like something he could do. I think that that's just, like, be- becoming a diplomat after you've been an MP or minister for a long time. Just, yeah, you're a safe pair of hands. You kind of understand how government works as well. And it, it becomes a matter of, like, you're trustworthy enough. Like, you're not going to go and commit espionage or do, or do whatever it is or or embarrass the country at that point. I mean, you've you've had decades of not embarrassing your party um, or not embarrassing them too much. <laughs> it's clear that I've made a mistake. Uh, I have I have cocked up. It would have been better to do things in a different way. That's, that's kind of, it makes sense. And it, again, becomes a, a nice thing because people, those people are generally older, like the kids have left home. 
Um, and then, yeah, it becomes a why not? And we need to make sure, and this is one of those things that I'm quite passionate about, is that we need to make sure that there are actually rewards for long service. Because, you know, if you go around and you ask, um, you know, a lot of my friends, like, later 20s, early 30s, do you want to be an MP? They go, oh, oh, hell no. Um, so we need to make sure that we're actually appealing to to, to a range of people that the incomes look good, but for a lot of business people, they're not. For a lot of lawyers, they're not, and, and that sort of thing. And just the sheer workload, if you look at someone like Chris Farfoy, who's, and, and Simon Bridges as well, who want to spend more time with their children. Um, and just think about how what the ministerial workload is. Um, yeah, why not reward them at the end of that long career of service to this country? That's it for today. I'm Emile Donovan. The Detail is public interest journalism funded through New Zealand On Air and produced by Newsroom for RNZ. You can get us downloaded free to your mobile device every weekday from any podcast platform. And if you're using Apple, please leave us a rating so others can find us too. Today's episode was engineered by William Saunders and produced by Sarah Robson. Bonnie Harrison is our associate producer. And thanks to Brent Edwards and Lara Greaves. Matewa. Matewa.